Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, let's open those up to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, we're going to be looking at verses 26 to 40 this morning. sermon so you all should feel that way if you ever have to miss that's what should happen you should cry and cry acts chapter 8 verses 26 to 40 i believe we're all close so let's pray together father we're grateful for the opportunity we have to come together uh, to sing your praises and to open your word and to see what you have for us here lord i pray the holy spirit would be active in this place that he would change our hearts, Lord, he would push us closer into a relationship with you and make us active in our faith, active in our worship. And because of that, Lord, people would come to see you and know you and love you uh, the way that we do. Uh, so, Lord, I pray for wisdom as we open your word. Help us to apply it deeply in our lives. And we love you. It's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. So last week, uh, in the first half of Acts chapter 8, we witnessed, I mean, what we could presumably call a miracle as the gospel uh, goes to Samaria, uh, a people who were hated by the Jews and who the Jews, or who hated the Jews right back. And so to see a Jewish man choose to go to this city, uh, to one of these cities, um, after he has been persecuted by his own people and to take the gospel message uh, to the Samaritans, specifically to the Samaritans, is something that we would really only see the gospel do. Uh, so we get to see a gospel miracle. When he goes to one of these cities, he makes it a point to preach that gospel there and they believe that message of salvation. We get to see many people come to faith and after hearing that the Samaritans had received this word we see uh, Peter and John come from Jerusalem they pray for them and then the Holy Spirit falls on them in their own Pentecost moment right they hadn't received the Holy Spirit and Peter and John come down and pray for them and the Holy Spirit falls and I mentioned that I believe that the Holy Spirit waited to fall on them so that the, the apostles could see it. They could see that the Holy Spirit was present in their life. And so that because you had that tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, that you have um, apostolic uh, vision, like they saw this happen. And so, you know, if, you got, if you're going to have a problem with this, you take that up with Peter and John. Right? They saw this happened. Uh, I can see the Jewish Christians having, mm, did that really happen? Would God really save the Samaritans? Like we know how the Samaritans are. Peter and John saw it. 
And so we now know because of their vision of this that the Samaritans are brothers and sisters in Christ. So praise the Lord that the gospel is for the nations. The gospel is for all people. And so the Samaritans, they're having this amazing, great awakening that's occurred where many people are coming to faith. And you would think that God would have Philip in the middle of this thing toiling away, right? Because he's mainly responsible, if you're talking about from a human effort, right? Not the effort of the Holy Spirit, but from human effort, you would think that Philip would be right in the middle of this thing doing his best to, to keep the thing going. So our logic would dictate that Philip being the face of it all, that he would need to be there to show these new believers what it means to be a Christian, right? How to properly read the Bible, how to properly worship the Lord, right? Because they had this hybrid Jewish understanding of the Old Testament even. And so they're going to have a lot of things that they're going to have to overcome even in their understanding of proper worship of Yahweh. And who better to do that than Philip at this point, right? The face of the whole thing. But God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And so instead of having Philip do all that, we're going to see in this passage this morning, God is going to pull Philip away from all of this to meet with one person out in the middle of nowhere. Completely out in isolation. In Acts 8, 26-40, we're going to witness a divine appointment set up by God between Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. All right? And at this divine appointment, Philip is going to have what I will call an evangelistic moment. Right, that even the most introverted introvert of all introverts could not miss. Okay, when we read this, you'll understand. Like, you, you cannot miss this opportunity that God just puts up on the tee and Philip just knocks it right out of the park. I mean, this is one of the easiest evangelistic opportunities that anybody could ever set up. Right, this is work that the Holy Spirit has set up in advance, and He just sets Philip in the right place at the right time, and this one gets knocked out of the park with ease. And so, with this in mind, we need to pay attention, pay close attention over the next couple of chapters about what the work of the Holy Spirit is doing. Right, we've said before that when people call this the Acts of the Apostles, like that's really a misnomer. All right, what this is, is the acts of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that ramp up in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Uh, it's, we're going to see the Holy Spirit going forward before the church and doing some magnificent things. All right, so really key in to everything that the Holy Spirit is doing. Because last week we saw the Samaritan's version of Pentecost. This week it's this divine appointment. So we see this great big thing that the Holy Spirit did. And now we're going to see him hone in on one person. Right? But that actually goes out and spreads out into a major movement of its own. And then next week we're going to see Paul's conversion. Right? This major persecutor of the church is going to become one of the greatest evangelists of all time. Maybe is probably the greatest evangelist of all time. And then in chapter 10, we're going to see salvation come to the Gentiles. And all of this is the Holy Spirit's work. It's amazing stuff. I love the book of Acts. Right? I know I say I love every book that I've 
preach, but the book of Acts is amazing. Like you just need to dig in to this. So, all right, let's get into it, uh, into this divine appointment. Acts 8, verse 26 to 40, we'll read the whole thing. It says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. All right, just real quick so we get an idea of geography here. Samaria is above Jerusalem. All right, so he's going to jump past Jerusalem, down below Jerusalem. So he's got a pretty long haul to get to this desert road. Okay, um, so this is the desert road. So he got up and went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch and high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join that chariot. When Philip ran up to it, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he said, unless someone guides me? There's that T-ball. Right, so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage he was reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before its shearer, so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe this generation? For his life is taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, I ask you, who is the prophet saying this about, himself or someone else? Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. As they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? So he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip appeared in Astus, and he was traveling and preaching the gospel in all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, so as I mentioned earlier, think about what God has called Philip away from. All right, Philip has been called away from this great awakening all the way down to this nowhere place. Didn't really tell him what was going to happen there. He just said, hey, I need you to go to this desert road. Right? We get to see all of this obedience from Peter. He's fleeing persecution, right? And because of that, you see him taking the gospel to Samaria. He is loving and obedient to all of these Samaritans. And you see this great awakening there. And you've got lots of work to do, tons of questions to answer, lots of discipleship that is needed, many people who need to be baptized. And then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord says, nope, you're leaving all of this and you're going to the middle of nowhere. Verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, says, get up, go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he's calling Philip away from this amazing experience where the enemies of the Jews are coming to faith. There's an outpour pouring of the Holy Spirit. It's all very exciting. And suddenly Philip is called away from all that and told to go to the desert. Right, Go away from this amazing work to the middle of nowhere where no one may be. Right, And Philip gets up and he goes. Philip's faith and his obedience here are just amazing. 
I mean, how many of us would look at this situation and strongly believe that we had misheard God's command? Right? Are you sure, Lord? Did I, did I hear you correctly? I don't know. I mean, would you really call us away from an evangelistic revival where many people are coming to faith? And would you call us to go where there's potentially no one there? I mean, this is an empty, deserted road. People travel it a lot. But what is there? I mean, it's in the desert. I mean, there might be someone there, there might be not. I mean, if it's me, I'm asking for verification. And I'm probably going Gideon on, on God at this point. Do y'all remember the story of Gideon from Judges chapter 6? Right, where Gideon puts down the fleece. He puts it out twice. Puts it out one time. He says, I want the fleece to be dry and the ground to be wet one time and the other time it's I want the fleece to be wet and the ground to be dry I may have said that backwards um, but I'm totally doing this I mean all this amazing stuff going on and you're calling me away from it I want to be sure and Philip does none of that the spirit of the Lord says go and when God tells him to go he gets up and he goes and when he goes, he runs into an Ethiopian eunuch, literally. Like he literally runs into him. God says, go to that chariot. So he runs up and joins the chariot. So he literally runs into him. And what we know about this Ethiopian eunuch is that he is a high-ranking official in Ethiopia. And we don't know much more about him than that. But according to verse 27, he's in charge of the entire treasury. All right, so he would be like the finance minister of the, of the entire country of Ethiopia. Uh, and it's highly likely that this Ethiopian somehow is Jewish. All right, I get that from the fact that Luke says that he came to Jerusalem to worship. Okay, so we see that. He has a copy of the book of Isaiah uh, that he's trying to read. And so it's apparent that he was either born into a Jewish home or he was converted at some point. Right? We know that the Jews have been scattered many times due to their disobedience. Right? They've been pulled into different countries for different reasons. And when they're scattered, we know for a fact that they've gone to at least as far as Egypt in Africa. And they could have potentially gone further than that. And so it's absolutely possible that this man may have been religiously Jewish from Africa. And with that, we can consider that when this man comes to faith, Luke does not say that he was the first Gentile to ever come to faith in Christ. He reserves that when we get to Luke chapter 10, he reserves that for Cornelius and his family. All right, so all of a sudden, the Gentiles have come to faith. We see that then. So in all likelihood, this man is religiously Jewish. All right, so we've got this Ethiopian Jew who run in, he just, Philip runs into him out in the middle of nowhere because God led him there uh, because he had just come from Ju Jerusalem to worship. And his coming from Jerusalem to worship is a good news, bad news situation. The bad news is that as a eunuch, he would not have been allowed to worship in the temple. Can you imagine going to the place, the, the place of worship? and not being allowed to go in. Right? For anyone who doesn't know what a eunuch is, a eunuch is someone who has been castrated in order to serve a purpose. 
All right, so they're often used by rulers to protect a harem, uh, or sometimes it's used for other purposes in the kingdom. As we see here, this man was the finance minister. So um, they just don't want them getting distracted by other things. And so um, they castrate them. And according to Old Testament law found in Deuteronomy 23, verse 1, he would not have been allowed to go into the temple to worship because he had been castrated. And so he would have been allowed to visit the temple, but he would not have been allowed to enter. He would not have been allowed to worship there. And so this is a sad way to worship, right? Imagine if you're devoted in your worship, devoted enough to make your way to Jerusalem in order to worship, so devoted that you would go there from Ethiopia, at least make a stop on your way from somewhere else, more than likely, but you were in a position uh, where something about your life kept you out of the building because of some deformity. You were not allowed to go in because of some issue in your life for some other reason. You weren't allowed to go in. But the good news here is twofold. Number one, the Old Testament book of Isaiah that the Ethiopian eunuch has and is reading contains a promise that is coming up for eunuchs in chapter 56. So what he's reading right now that Philip ran up to was Isaiah 53. All right, that's the suffering servant passage, the one that we're really familiar with usually. That's where we get a lot of uh, Easter sermons out of that, right? So that's Isaiah 53. So he's getting ready to come up to Isaiah 56, which has this promise. Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 8, says this to eunuchs. Listen, no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord should say, the Lord will exclude me from his people. And the eunuch should not say, look, I'm a dried up tree. For the Lord says this, For the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold firmly to my covenant, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Amen, right? It continues, I will give each of them an everlasting name that will never be cut off. As for the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to keep his servants and all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold firmly to my covenant, I will bring them to my holy mountain and let them rejoice in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is the declaration of the Lord God and who gathers the dispersed of Israel. I will gather them to still others besides those already gathered, but he's coming away from this. I'm, I'm sorry, no. Uh, I will gather them up from still others beside those already gathered. So he has these promises that he gets to see in the book of Isaiah. All right, He hasn't gotten there yet to this promise from where he's reading, but this promise is coming to him. Right, So didn't get to worship in the temple, but he has this promise that he will have an everlasting name in a place of worship with God forever as long as he will remain faithful to Yahweh. So he has this promise, right? He's excluded from the temple, but that exclusion is temporary, right? He's learning about, he's also learning right now about Isaiah 53, where you have the suffering servant that is fulfilled in the coming of Christ. Jesus removes all barriers to God 
right? No matter what happens to us bodily, no matter what sins that we have committed prior to salvation in him, through his life, death, and resurrection, Philip is going to explain to the Ethiopian eunuch that there is nothing that can stand in our way of salvation if we will place our faith in Jesus. There's nothing that will keep us outside of our worship if we will repent of our sin and bow our knee to him as Lord. Right? No castration, no sin, no whatever we have in our past. Everything can be forgiven or there's no deformity that will, be, that will keep us out of the presence of God. So he has both of these promises that are coming for him through salvation in Christ. And so God gave the eunuch two gifts this day. He gave him the scriptures, right, which has these promises there for him. And the second thing is he gave someone to teach him what they meant. Right? Sometimes it's difficult to understand what's in the Bible. And so he says he sent someone very directly to him. That's love, people. Right? God loved him enough to send him someone directly to explain to him what the scriptures meant. And due to Philip's faithfulness, we see that the Ethiopian eunuch comes to faith in Jesus and he's baptized in a pool of water as they go along the way. So he tells, he sees a pool, tells his driver to stop, and they go into the water and he is baptized, right? So we see that. After that, it says that the Spirit carried Philip away. Was he teleported? We don't know. Did he just get up and leave? We don't know. All it says is that the eunuch didn't see him any longer. So he just was gone. And he went on his way rejoicing. And we don't know anything else about the Ethiopian eunuch from Scripture. After this, he's never heard from again. But church history tells us that he goes back from his home country after this, and he is a missionary to his home country. So he is a missionary to Ethiopia. And from here, the gospel is going to spread. And... One thing that we need to understand is that Ethiopia is considered at this point the ends of the earth to the Greeks and the Romans. Right? So here we have just in these short passages, everything about Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right? All of this stuff is coming true through the persecution of the church. We just see God's promises coming true faithfully. At this point in history, the gospel is crossing both ethnic and social lines. Right? The Ethiopian eunuch is taking, <laughs> taking the gospel by divine appointment to the ends of the earth. Right? He had never even heard the promise that Jesus had made, and yet he is being active in taking it to the ends of the earth. We see Philip living out God's mission. We see him doing what he is called to do. The Spirit tells Philip to go, and Philip is obedient to go. He receives that divine mandate to rise and go south, and he does it, and he is a meeting set up for him because God is watching out for each of these appointments for us. He has work for us to do, and if we are faithful and obedient, then we can see change in people's lives. 
Philip takes the opportunity to share the gospel. And as a result, the man comes to faith and he goes to Ethiopia and the gospel has reached what they viewed as the ends of the earth. And then Philip goes on to continue more work. It doesn't stop here. We don't see Philip again until Acts chapter 20, 20 or 21. And this is 20 years down the road. And they call him Philip the Evangelist. Right? He is faithful with the message that God has given him. 20 years down the, down the road, he is still proclaiming the message of the Savior. And so what do we do with this? Number one, we listen to and we are obedient to the Holy Spirit. Right? We listen to and we're obedient to the Holy Spirit. Now, to do this, in order to hear the Holy Spirit, we have to slow down enough to listen. All right, if we are crazy busy all the time and never take the time to slow down, open the Word of God, spend time in prayer, then it's going to be very difficult to hear this Word. It's certainly going to be very difficult to distinguish God's Word from worldly wisdom. All right? I mean, if Philip wasn't in tune with the Holy Spirit, it would be very hard to believe that God was calling him away from such a massive undertaking as the church blossoming in Samaria and believing that he was called away from that into this nowhere place. But yet that's exactly what he was called to do. And it's hard for us to hear the Holy Spirit if we're not making ourselves in tune with that. We have to do that through prayer. We have to do that through our study of the Bible. All right, number two, share the gospel. That's going to be a common theme throughout this book. I hope you get used to hearing it, and I hope you are used to doing it. So it's no secret. I hope that as followers of Christ, we are supposed to be sharing our faith, right? I mean, is that, does that surprise anybody here? Anybody? No. We are supposed to, share, to be sharing our faith. Part of sharing our faith is praying for opportunities to share our faith. And part of sharing our faith is having the courage to take the opportunity when God provides it. Because God is going to be faithful. If you're praying for it, God is going to be faithful to provide you with those opportunities. And so we should be working on developing strategies for steering conversations towards the gospel if, we don't, if we're not already comfortable with that. Some, some are. Right? Some aren't. For some people, this comes naturally. Right? I've had people ask me, how do you enter into gospel conversations? And it's hard for me to teach because I don't, I'm, I'm not thinking about my process in that. It just kind of naturally happens. Right? Part of that is the counseling stuff. I've learned in counseling how to steer conversations in the direction that I want it to go. And so when I sit down and I'm like looking for the, the open door that's going to steer that towards a conversation that, that can lead to Jesus, right? But more times than not, we're not going to get people to sit down and go, tell me about the hope that you have in Jesus, right? It happens. Sometimes it happens, right? But if you're waiting for that, you're probably going to be waiting for a long time. 
right? Every now and then, though, God will tee one up just like he did for Philip here, right? I remember the, the easiest gospel conversation that I've ever had came from, it was like I was, I was here, I was the pastor here, but this was back before I moved to the house in Hillsboro. I was living in Burlington, and there was a couple that lived two houses down from us, and I was praying for a gospel conversation with that couple. And one night, I was just sitting around our, our fire pit, and I was texting with the couple and invited them to come out. The, the boyfriend didn't want to come. Girlfriend decided to come, so Kelly and I and the girlfriend were sitting there. Kelly goes in the house for something. I don't remember, so it was just me and the guy's girlfriend sitting there. And I'm just sitting there, nobody's saying a word. And she goes, so how long have you been a part of the church? Thank you, Lord. I'll take care of this from here. Here we go. And so I just said a quick prayer, Lord, make this, make this fruitful. And here we go, gospel conversation, right? I did have an opportunity to share uh, the gospel with the boyfriend, but there was at one point, but they were not interested at all. And I don't know, like eventually those two broke up. They wound up selling the house, going their own separate ways. And I didn't see any fruit of that conversation. But I am praying that the seed was planted and that the Holy Spirit will water that by someone else down the road. Every now and then we get those. Not often, but we have to be looking for that, praying for that, and willing to walk into that as soon as it presents itself. But we also have to be building relationships with people that have no connection to the church at all. Like, those two didn't go to church. They, like, that was a divine appointment that God had set up for me. And I was so thankful for that. But we have to be looking for those, right? So... That's number two, share the gospel. Number three, love all people. Love all people. This is what we're seeing out of Philip here. Okay, Philip's heart is open wide to all types of people. Right? We see he's reflecting the heart of God. In Acts 6, he was chosen to take care of widows. Right? So he, he, he's loving on widows. In Acts 8, he shows Christ-like love for the enemies of God's people in the Samaritans. Here, we see Christ-like love for the nations as he cares for a man from Ethiopia. Right? Does he look like this man from Ethiopia? Not a chance. Right? Not a chance. Is he in the same socioeconomic class as this man from Ethiopia? Not a chance. So we see him caring for all types of people, crowds of people, individuals. Philip loves them all. It does not matter. Different ethnicities, Philip wants to see people come to faith in Christ. Different socioeconomic stations, Philip doesn't care. All people are created in the image of God. We all need a relationship with Christ. It doesn't matter how much or how little we have. We all need the gospel. And so we need to be reflective of this just as he's reflecting Christ to us. We need to love all people. Do you know how easy it would have been for me to look at this couple that lived down the street, they're living together in sin, and just wrote them off? They're not, those aren't my people. That's not part of the church. 
Right? We didn't have a whole lot in common with them. But yet, because we were building relationship there and looking for that relationship, I had the opportunity to share the gospel. God wants us to walk into these relationships and forget about all the differences that we have with these people. Right? Because there's one thing that we have in common. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And if not for the saving grace of Jesus Christ on my life, that's where I would be. And it doesn't matter how much money I have, what color my skin is, what religion I came from, that is who I would be if not for Jesus and Philip does not care about any of this, and neither should we. We should be willing to do whatever is necessary to get to that gospel conversation with everybody that God places in our path. And for some of us, he has very clear divine appointments that we need to be ready for. And we can't be ready for these if we don't know the Bible. Like when he's reading from Isaiah 53, Philip knows Isaiah 53. And he's ready to talk about Jesus from Isaiah 53. So we've got to be reading our Bibles. We've got to be praying and ready and prepared for these circumstances. And if you're not there, then that's what we're here for. So let's be ready for that. Let's be praying for that. And let's see the gospel go from this place in such a way that we see the beauty of life change coming from this place, radiating from this place. And we get to hear stories like Philip. Can you imagine the stories that Philip got to share at the end of his life simply because he was obedient to what God called him to do? I want that for us here. I want at the end of our lives to be able to, not necessarily to tell people about all the cool trips that we took or all the cool things that we were able to buy or all of that, but all the people that we had the opportunity to share the gospel with and see and the lives that we were able to see change because we were obedient to God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I'm thankful that you have put people like Philip in, in scripture. This is just... An ordinary man who was obedient to the Holy Spirit, who was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we get to see the mighty works that the Holy Spirit would do through him. The many people that were touched through his ministry, and Lord, I pray that we would be obedient in the same way that Philip was obedient. I pray that we would share the gospel, that we would be people who would be in touch with your calling on us, that we would seek out these divine appointments, and Lord, when we get there, we would share the gospel faithfully. And I pray also that you would be faithful to change lives as we share this gospel, that we would be able to see parts of this harvest coming, uh, coming to fruition, that we would be able to see people's lives changed um, so that we would be able to see the impact that the Holy Spirit is having uh, from this church as we take the gospel out into a dark and dying world. Lord, I ask all of this in your son's precious name. Amen.